from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are pretty good friends to others, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. So, Jonah, I was thinking about, this kind of plays into our topic with our incredible guest today. But I was thinking about when we were kids and you used to sit for hours and play, I believe it was this game called King's Quest. Oh yeah, King's Quest. It was like kind of a medieval kind of game where you had to walk around and then you had to, you kind of just talk to people. Yes. Like you had to like ask people where a key was and then right. do all this stuff. It was, it was a slow moving game. And do you remember that the place that you would play the game was where we had our, honestly, now very cool but at the time took a break in being cool while we were teens but we had an apple computer would you call it a macintosh at the time it was apple 2c it was an apple 2c that's right and it was in our guest room which later would turn into your bedroom yeah and we had like that big like entertainment center thing with it in it and i just remember it always being really dark in that room it was dark yeah and just you playing king's quest in the dark in the dark yeah and me just like sitting by the side 
bed and kind of like sitting next to you and watching and then it would or like slightly behind you that was kind of our setup for like the ref for video games through yeah as boring of a game that was to play i imagine much more boring just to watch someone else play well i just remember that there were a couple times that i tried to play it like on my own Uh and i just didn't understand it at all like it was like you needed so many codes and stuff and i remember being like excited to play it without you but then like it was the kind of thing where I just had no idea what to do. You needed like kind of a guide. Like there would be these kind of cheat guides that would kind of tell you who to talk to, what to do. Because otherwise you're just like kind of wandering around in the woods. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, I've said on this podcast before how I am with like modern video games where I'm just said it before I'll say it again, standing against the wall squatting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think... (laughs) I think we've got a lot of similar nostalgic, fun media stuff to talk about with our guests today. So let's <laughs> let's get into it. And I'm sure I'll mention standing against a wall squatting as a character. Yeah, our guests might be better at video games than, than you. No. Yeah, maybe a little better than, than I was. Maybe even better than you were, Jonah. It's possible. It's definitely yeah. possible. Today, our guest is a talented comedian writer who created and hosted the true TV show Adam Ruins Everything. More recently, the Netflix series The G Word with Adam Conover. Let's give it up for, you guessed it, Adam Conover. Adam, how's it going? Hey, hello. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, things are going great. 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 Did that story bring back any kind of memories for you from your... Did you do a lot of gaming as a kid? Oh, I played every video game, and I still do. Uh, do you remember which King's Quest this was that you played? Great question. It is a great question. I don't remember. I want to say like around four, maybe pretty early on. Wow. Because those games were pretty unfair. I wouldn't <laughs> say that I w- would just wander around in the woods, but yeah, you did. You could lock yourself out of being able to complete it and stuff like that. Apple Two C that would have been pretty early, and the earlier games were worse. So I've definitely had that experience. That was not a fun, fun gaming platform, really. No, me and Vanessa were talking before this. Another game we had, or I don't know if you're familiar with, was the Lemonade Stand game. Did you ever play that one? Is this like one of the games where it's like, how much do you want the lemonade to be, and you type in yes. five cents? And it's like that. It's yes. like sort of a little bit of kind of like a calculator, but for selling lemonade. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. You would spend all this time calculating how much to make the price, and then. After like a week, like it'd be like a rainstorm came by, destroyed your lemonade stand. Yes. You have to start over. Oh, yeah. That was so rude. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a format of game that was later adapted into a a game, a very famous, almost sort of folk game called Dope Wars. Do you guys remember Dope Wars at all? No. So this is a game. It was the same style of game where it's like, you know, how much do you want to buy and sell for? But it was about selling drugs. Like it would be like you can buy. You you, you go to one corner and it was like, I'm going to buy five five heroin and three cocaines and then you'd go to a different corner and you could sell them for like a larger price and stuff like that but the the reason i called a folk game was because it only existed (laughs) at least in my school on graphing calculators wow so remember the graphing calculators you'd have to have in like calculus yeah texas instruments yeah Exactly. TI-81, I think I had. Yep. Most kids didn't have the internet yet, so just one kid would have on his calculator a copy of this game that he got from like, his cousin or whatever, and then he would copy on everybody else's, and in math class, instead of paying attention, you could um, sell Coke. <laughs> right, right. But it was a completely rudimentary, just like, little text interface of like, oh no, the cops are on you, you are dead, you know, it was just like text written to you. Right, right, wow. right, right. No, totally. I never, I don't remember ever really playing any games on my graphing calculator. Oh, you didn't know the bad kids then? Yeah. I guess not. Because the other thing you could do on a graphing calculator, if you'll recall, is you could cheat. 
you could enter like answers to tests and stuff, mostly math tests on your yes. graphing calculator. It'd be so weird to pull out a graphing calculator during like a biology test, but you could put answers on your... And I remember sometimes like, remember how there were open book tests? Like sometimes you were allowed to have your graphing calculator. It was kind of like if you were smart enough and took the time to put the answers into your calculator, yes. go ahead and cheat. But like a lot of times you weren't allowed or like the teacher would come around and make sure you were only using your graphing calculator to do math you weren't like reading stuff off of it that was answers see i wasn't bad enough to know how to cheat using my graphing calculator i just used it to play like breakout and dope wars when i was supposed to be yeah i think that's cool yeah i wasn't really (laughs) cheating either except jonah did you ever take global studies with i think mr lane this might have been a little advanced for me i was in the kind of okay real basic i didn't go to that school unfortunately (laughs) so i don't know i don't know mr you didn't take global studies no it was like a class where it was like so accepted to cheat it was like jonah and i love to take down the cleveland plain dealer the local newspaper and every friday we would take their like weekly news quiz that was in the plain dealer and we would grade each other's quizzes and then we would just give each other like a hundred percent and then every so often mr lane would give us diagrams of like the entire world And have us like fill in like these really tiny like continents and stuff. So we would just like all kind of like ask each. It was so weird. Cheating was so accepted. And then (laughs) like we heard a few years later that like he started like really cracking down on cheating. And it was like. Well, then change your curriculum, you idiot. Oh, Sorry, I don't like to call our teachers idiots. I know they worked really hard. Some of them are idiots. Just like we can accept this. <laughs> Look, I, I don't really mean idiot, but Mr. Lane, I don't feel like I need to defend a ton. <laughs> well, you're saying maybe change the curriculum versus like cracking down on the student. Yeah. Don't make it impossible. Right, right. Like to be fair, the plain dealer quizzes on Fridays were not impossible. Those we could have probably, but he could have taken the initiative to grade them himself and then we wouldn't have cheated. But so I. I am blaming that on him. But the geography stuff, I felt like this is such like minutiae geography or give us a heads up that the quiz is coming. Yeah, fair enough. They were more pop quizzes. I don't think I made that clear, but yeah. (laughs) Adam, I had another question for you. Um, You know, something I did a lot when I was in high school was playing bands, Mm -hmm. play guitar. I read that, you know, you were in a band. Is that true? Were you kind of a musician when you were that age? Yes, where did you read this? This shouldn't be available information that I was in a band. This is not the first time this has happened to me in an interview, and I want to know what website, or did you call my mom? How did did you I called your mom. Yeah, yeah, she told me. Yeah, Uh, yeah, there was some, and I noticed in your, uh, we were talking before the podcast about your most recent Patagonia video, I noticed a guitar hanging on the wall. So this is kind of... yes. Just some stuff that I picked up on as well. Seems like you're a music guy a little bit. Very observant. Yeah, I was in a band in high school, but I was the singer. I didn't play guitar. I didn't know how to play guitar. Or I didn't know how to play guitar well. I was trying to learn how to play, but then the guitar player in the band was like kind of mean to me because I was learning <laughs> to play. Like he was like, oh, you're trying to play guitar. Oh, boy. Were you like, yeah, some bands have two guitars. You'll still be the lead guitarist. You absolute. High school boys are awful, you know, yeah. but he was really into the Velvet Underground and Sonic okay. Youth. This is like post Nirvana kind of like, you know, indie rock, alt rock kind of stuff. And I was into like funny folk music, so our band was really weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember your band's most popular song? Oh, wow! Or your favorite song? The band's most popular 
So we did a cover of a Jesus and Mary Chain song, and now I'm blanking on the name. Okay. I did like singing it. And we had some originals as well, but I wouldn't don't want to describe those as popular. <laughs> Nobody liked them. Got it. Got it. Did you have a favorite of the originals? Oh, my gosh. I don't think so. The <laughs> one that comes to mind the most was, and this is what I'm saying with funny folk music. There's a folk singer named Dan Byrne. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Byrne. I really liked him. We covered one of his songs, and I really liked singing it because it had a lot of, I thought it was fun. The chorus was I've Got Big Balls was the chorus of the song. Uh, it was a song called Tiger Woods. And I enjoyed doing it because I got laughs when I did it, yeah. which was kind of contrary to the point of the rest of the band. It sounds like your band had the most success in doing covers. <laughs> Yes, we were high school students, Vanessa. We were not good songwriters. So the covers tend to be better than the songs we tried to write ourselves. <laughs> Jonah, you're a high school band that did Battle of the Bands. Were you doing a cover or were you doing an original song? Do you remember? I'm sorry. I feel like I'm trolling you both about your high school bands. <laughs> Adam, just to bring you back, I had a punk band that played a talent show. Our singer oh. spit in the audience, started a mosh pit. They tried to end the whole talent show circuit. We did originals, although I do remember one year we had to audition and we did The Offspring's Self-Esteem was a big song at the okay time. but jonah do you remember what your most favorite original song was my goal in all of this is to get one of you to sing an original high school song. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm not doing yeah that. i'm not doing it either oh I, sh I should not be doing that but jonah give us a name at least was it like my flesh hurts yeah my flesh hurts so that was it yeah okay jonah that's not fair tell us a real one <laughs> We had a song about Mayfield Road, <laughs> which was a road by us that there was always a lot of construction on. And we yeah. were like 15. And so that was like the thing that we're, we had a song about the traffic on Mayfield Road. <laughs> that was probably the one that sticks out. Okay. I guess I understand why you don't want to sing one. <laughs> I had, I'll say, my band, we put out a cassette okay. that we recorded our and this was the technology at the time we had an eight track or i guess a four track whatever like a little thing we could record to yep you know different instruments but we just recorded it to one cassette you know what i mean we there was no ability to edit it or mix it we all just all played simultaneously right, right recorded it to a set and then we released the cassette by just copying it to other cassettes on our like tape deck boom boxes that we all had in our yeah high school bedrooms and so this is how we reproduced this thing. We photocopied the cover and stuff like that. But it was like quotation marks released on our friend's <laughs> quotation marks record label that he had <laughs> that was like his punk rock record label. This is in like 1999. After we graduated high school, he like made a website for the record label and like kept putting out seven inches and sort of DIY punk music and stuff like that, which is like to his credit. But he made a very good website and the website lists our tape as one of the releases. And I discovered this in like 2007, it lists the cassette tape, had a, you know, scan of the cover, a track listing and MP3s of all the songs. Whoa. And I was like, don't put that on the internet there was like a very sad and slow like song i wrote for a girl on there that was like way too earnest and like very embarrassing and like that shouldn't be that should not be up there and i unfortunately cannot tell you the name of the band or the record label because your listeners might go find it and i don't want them right to. yeah that's not really fair because you were around that was pre-internet where not everything was accessible and able to find so you yes. should not have to suffer that the way people do today i should not do you think that he put it up there because of like your success now like that no. it maybe would no 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 because he uploaded it in like 2007 2008 okay and i just looked it up and this tape 
that I recorded when I was 17 years old is currently, there's a Bandcamp page for the tape at, where people can download the whole thing. Are you listed on their first and last name? Because maybe no, you not. can take that down. Okay, that's I'm good. not, thank God. I'm not, thank God. And I'm, ha- so that makes me happy that I it's I mean, up. thank God for you, not for us, I guess. <laughs> I'm just realizing this because I'm searching it while I'm talking to you. It's got a photo of the tape with my friend's handwriting, like on the label. It's unbelievable. No, but the guy put it up there because he he actually genuinely like liked the tape that we made. Got it. Because he was a DIY punk guy who was very earnest. You know, we have sort of the opposite problem in that Jonah and I were in a little bit of a brother sister band. I'm going to call it post college, during college, kind of. We did, never really did any live performances, and in fact, we only recorded. Well, we recorded most of our songs over like the holiday breaks or whatever when we were home from college but we still have I, I would say the band is still together Jonah I think that's fair to say band called Jam and Vibes and you know obviously our initials Jonah Vanessa and we had some really great tunes and we were well I think we still are up on MySpace but yeah MySpace they lost their music archives if you uploaded music to MySpace before like 2010 it just doesn't work or something yeah so we can't listen to, and we'd have no other copies of these. Songs. Yeah. So we're like trying to find our music. I, I have some like cassettes lying around, like blanket that I'm like, maybe this is a jam and vibes cassette or something. It's crazy that when we were in college, does that make sense that we would, st- yeah, because you still would record stuff yeah. in a cassette. We'd just be bored at home and just write some tunes. Yeah. So, anyways, we have the opposite problem. So, you know, I guess. As they say, one man's gold or crash or whatever. Well, we're going to take a commercial break right now and uh, we'll be right back with Adam Conover. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. And we're back. So, <laughs> Vanessa, are you okay? If, do you need to take a minute? Yeah, I'm totally fine. Okay. It's so funny okay. when I was wor- at work today, like I kept doing stuff like this too. And everyone was like, Vanessa, are you losing your mind? And I was like, what? I don't think so. But I was like, oh, <laughs> it's been a day. You know what I mean? Have you ever heard that phrase, you guys? I have heard that. It's been a, it's been a whole day. Well, we were talking a little bit about your topic earlier, Adam, and we were really excited to talk to you about this. We wanted to talk today about educational media from when yeah. you were growing up. So like TV shows and computer games and stuff. Obviously, we've already mentioned some of our faves, including the lemonade stand game. <laughs> Very educational. <laughs> Very educational. Another favorite of ours was Number Munchers. Did you ever play that? I played Number Munchers. Yeah, absolutely. It had the little green guys and they ate numbers. Yeah. Yep. That was a good one. And we would be remiss without mentioning Carmen Sandiego, of course. Of course, Carmen Sandiego with the associated television show with the acapella theme song. Rockapella. <laughs> Rockapella. <laughs> We're just talking about Rockapella earlier today and someone was talking about, <laughs> someone in my writer's room was talking about the Folgers commercial. Do you guys remember that Rockapella was in a Folgers commercial where they sang oh. an acapella song about how the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup? Yeah, they sang the they sang the Folgers song. Yeah, the best. I do remember this very well. Yeah. It was crazy because a couple people were able to sing it from memory because it's not the regular Folger song. It's like Rockapella's take on it. Oh, I'd love to play it really quickly because I think it will sound really familiar when you hear it. I know this commercial. I don't remember the song, but I know the commercial. I can picture the vibe. They do a little bit of a, at the end, I think a little bit of a scoobly doo wop. Yeah. And sort of, you know, really do just a little bit of improv with it. And, and yeah, mm. totally. And those guys, I mean, they're in their prime. Do you think they were like just living their best lives? Like, were they going to the Grammys and stuff? (laughs) Oh, here it goes. Here it goes. I wish I knew the answer to that question, Vanessa. I wish I knew whether Rockapella was going to the Grammys. I'm sure they're going to the Emmys. For their, yes, they probably got daytime Emmys. Emmys for best for theme Carmen song. San Diego. For sure. Okay, let's hear this song. Here it goes. Every day I wake up, pour myself a cup of that rich Folgers aroma. The best part of waking up, it's the do up, do up, and all I do. The mountain gold aroma always coming through. Always coming through. Oh, the best part of waking up. Now that I think was okay. the long version because when they go up, <laughs> when they yeah. go up a little bit, that was the extended version. But that was probably like 30 seconds. That's a standard commercial, right? Uh, that felt like the long version to me. It felt long. It felt long. But <laughs> it, it felt have too short a- to me. Go ahead, Jonah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Rockapella. I thought it was a genre. This is a, a group called Rockapella. You this- don't remember from Carmen okay. Sandiego and they would say, do it Rockapella and they would all sing the song? No. 
Jonah, you don't remember that? They were the exclusive acapella group to Carmen Sandiego, the show. Oh, so, okay. So, like, I'll try and kind of do my reminiscence of it. Your reminiscence of it? My... <laughs> Yeah, that's Wait, a reminiscence. It's a it? reminiscence and a rendition. <laughs> Wait, reminiscence isn't a word. No, no. <laughs> rendition. Rendition. Premonition. Premonition is also a word. You're just combining them. <laughs> okay, scary. Okay, but my version would be: We went around the world to do from San Diego to where in the world is and then the guy in the Lucci voice goes I'm in San Diego like it's like that do you remember that Jonah I remember that I do yeah I was more into the video game I think that was more my time the TV show yeah I think I was a little bit not as into it was a computer game that we could we played it in school right yeah we played it in school and so that's like the thing about this topic was like the idea of watching tv or playing video games in school at that time Mm -hmm. is like so was so exciting yes it was so fun all the at least my school had computer labs in the in the various schools yes either apple twoies often mac pluses in those years And the educational games were always so exciting to play because you could play video games at school. And that's all I was going to say. And once in a while, and Joan, I don't know if you remember this. I think I brought it up before and you don't. Once in a while, who would be coming out of that computer lab? Our mom. Yeah, I guess our mom worked at the computer lab. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember She would volunteer and help with the computer lab sometimes. I don't remember that at all. You got to know that when you're like a second grader and you're walking through school and you see your mom, you're like, okay, this is the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I I just remember that feeling of like, you get to class, you're like, "Uh, it's going to be another boring class. And then the teacher rolls in that rolly thing with the VCR and the TV. And you're like, oh, I get to watch something. This is like the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and the number one thing that I think we watched was in school was a little show called Square One. Do you remember that, Adam? Oh, my God. You're, I'm so happy you brought up Square One because not a lot of people bring this show up to me. And this show was a really deep influence on me overall, I have to say. Square One TV, wonderful math-based show with a lot of... Yep. It was sketch comedy, yeah. Vanessa. It was, this is what we do. It was sketch comedy, yes. but about math. Incredible, incredible show. So many recurring kind of different sketches. <laughs> Start some great actors, by the way. Reg E. Cathy. Do you know Reg E. Cathy? He was a African-American actor with a very deep voice uh-huh. who was on that show. And he later went on to be on The Wire. Wow. He was the like assistant, not assistant, like uh, main counselor counselor to Tommy Carcetti on that show. I think it was on House of Cards. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a great actor. A couple other, it was a powerhouse cast on Square One on PBS. Wow. The thing that I was just thinking of was that Number Munchers was kind of very similar to Math Man, which remember that was kind of the animated math yes. thing where like there was like a tornado right in the, yep. in the grid and the math the little math thing would like go around solving the problems and when they would mess up or something, the tornado would come. I love your hazy memory of this. I have a very clear one, (laughs) which is that there's a little character named Math Man and he would go around a Pac-Man maze and he would go, Math Man, Math Man, Math Man, Math yes. Man. Yeah. And then he would come to a problem and it would be like, you know, two plus four and he'd go like, ah, six and then eat the number six and then Math Man, Math Man. Yes. And if he got something wrong, Mr. Glitch, 
was the name of the tornado. Yes, I was just going to say, I, yeah, Mr. Glitch, the, the blue tornado character. And Mr. Glitch, yeah, Mr. Glitch would destroy him. And here's the odd thing about the show, though, about this segment, okay? Okay. Because Math Man was kind of a cipher. He was a little bit robotic. He he didn't really have a lot of personality to right. him. Yep. Um, he would just sort of was like, Math Man, Math Man. Mr. Glitch, the bad guy, had a lot more personality. He would go like, oh, I hate this Math Man. Like, oh, here we go. I hope he gets it wrong so I can eat him or whatever. Right. He was always kind of like gr- grumbling under his breath, but in a fun, kind of funny yes. way. And so as a kid, you start sympathizing with Mr. Glitch. You're like, yeah, I want to see Mr. Glitch fuck up that shithead math man. I hate him. <laughs> I hate math man. I love Mr. Glitch. And I think maybe in response to this in some later episodes, they would have Mr. Glitch be the one. They would turn the tables and they would have Mr. Glitch be the one solving the math problems. And math man would come and eat him. And as a kid, that like blew my mind. Whoa. I was like, whoa, we can we can flip the script like this. You know? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. This show seriously taught me so much about sketch comedy as a kid. <laughs> it was. What about the one where like the woman comes out and she's like, I'm Monday. Or is her name Tuesday? Yes. This was called MathNet. MathNet. And it was a parody of Dragnet. And it was like the back half of every show would be. Never put that together until just now. Thank you so much. <laughs> and they would solve problems with math. And they would solve crimes. There were there were math crimes that were committed, and they needed to. Or I think they were actually real crimes, like murders and arsons, and they needed to solve them right. with math. This says it was a regular segment that parodied television shows of the day set in courtrooms, presided by Judge Sandra Day oh, yeah. O'Crater, who showed zero tolerance for unacceptable behavior from the audiences, frequently telling the gallery she'd have them do time or punish them in another extreme way if they didn't shut up and stop the interruptions. She even threatened to have them all hanged on one occasion. Key. In all cases, a district attorney was suing the defendant for a math crime the defendant did not commit. The judge was sometimes quick to issue a verdict, but in the end, always ruled the defendant innocent after the defendant was able to prove it, leaving the attorney very embarrassed. I've kind of taken the fun out of it by reading that, huh? (laughs) I'm so sorry, you guys. Wait, this was Math Court. That's Math Court, which is different. Math Net. The, look, it's Vanessa, it's not your fault. These are very similar names for math. Oh, segments. Math Net, Math Net, Math Net. This is the law and order of math based procedural television shows. Math Net was the cops, Math Court was the lawyers. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, here we go. Each episode of Square One featured a Closing segment titled Math Net, starring Joe Howard as George Frankly and Beverly Leach as Kate Monday. A parody of Dragnet, the storyline of each skit featured the detectives attempting to solve a crime by using math. Each MathNet storyline spanned five episodes or one complete broadcast week, Monday through Friday. Originally set in Los Angeles, the skit was later expanded to New York City as a secondary setting. Wow. There you go. Oh, and then Leach left the show after the third season. She was replaced by Tony DeBueno playing Pat Tuesday. This is so helpful to me because I'm always like, was the woman's name Monday or Tuesday? Yeah. And it looks like it was both. Cast replacements used to throw me for a loop as a kid. I was like, what happened to the person oh, I know? Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 But yes, I learned a lot of math facts from that show. I learned the Fibonacci sequence because there was an episode where a parrot knew the Fibonacci sequence, and that was like somehow helped them solve the crime. Okay. The parrot would go, one, one, two, three, five, Eureka! That's all I remember. Okay. And then do you remember the music video about the number nine? 
Vanessa, you wanted me you wanted me to sing, so I'll sing yes, uh, please. for you. There was a, a music video that was incredible. So this is almost like a magic trick. It was a music, an entire music video, country song, about a this interesting property of the number nine. And the, the chorus went, nine, 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 that crazy number nine. It's perfectly consistent. It works out every time. And then there would be a little bit of a talking country song. And the point is, if you multiply nine by any other number and then you add the digits together, it adds up to nine again. So the guy would go like, nine times one is nine. And then he would go, nine times two is 18. And eight and one is nine. Nine times three is 27. And seven and two is nine. Nine times four is 36. And three and six is nine. And then they would sing the chorus again. It was so stuck in my head as a kid. I knew this for, like, it taught me the fucking times table. Nine was the only times table I knew. That's an incredible fact about the number nine by the way. This works with anything. There was even a long thing where you go, okay, let's try a longer number. Nine times 3,834. And then you, if you do it, it comes out, if you add all the digits together, they will add up to equal nine or they'll add up to equal a number that if you add the digits of that number together, it will equal nine. You can do this right now and it'll I work, I love Vanessa. this so... Jonah, did you know that about the number nine? I think we missed this episode. I don't think, honestly, maybe I, <laughs> I think I missed it. I have to say, like, as an adult, and I'm not trying to brag, you guys, I'm pretty good at math in my head. Like, I've, I think I've taught myself a lot of, like, math tricks, especially with the number nine, I feel like is the easiest one almost because you just multiply things by 10 and then you subtract one. You know what I'm saying? You can, <laughs> sure. But mm-hmm. one of the things, or whatever, and by things I mean numbers, but I'm wowed by this fact about nines. I'm so sorry I put the focus on me just now when the focus <laughs> should really be on how great this fact is. No! Yeah, but I do think you could you could learn stuff. Yes. Because I learned, definitely learned from number munchers about prime numbers. Like there was one where it's like, eat all the prime numbers, and you had to kind of figure out what that meant. Right. I don't remember what it means now. But I know that isn't a prime number a number that can't be divisible by any. It's not divisible, right? Adam, you know, I bet you know what a prime number is. A prime number is a number that is only divisible by itself and by the number one. Right. So, for instance, seven has no only divisible by. Uh, those are the only integers it's divisible by. In any case, got it. Right. Right. That right. Right. Sense. Right. Another show Vanessa and I were talking about, Adam, and I don't know if you watch this show. I know some kids watch this show in school. We did. It was called Voyage of the Mimi. Are you familiar with this at all? No. We watch this in school a lot. I found some YouTube clips of it, and all these people were like, I watched a show in fifth grade, and it's like a show on a boat. And what's so weird is it's from 1984. Ben Affleck is on the show as a kid. <laughs> it's like teaches you stuff about the sea, like how to like, it's like an old skipper guy, and he's like teaching you stuff. And I don't, it was like a PBS show, I think, and I don't know why, but we used to watch it in school all the time. I think we didn't watch it as much, but I remember, like, I've seen it since a couple, like, I've seen, you know, talked about it. And, and I do remember watching it a little bit, but I also, yeah, the series aired on PBS in 1988 to teach middle school schoolers about science and social studies. Yeah. Yeah. It always was weird to me when I learned about, like, when I, like, kind of remembered about this show as an adult, because I always was like, wasn't Ben Affleck's first thing? What was that movie called with him and Daredevil? That's <laughs> the movie Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, yes. When Goodwill Hunting came out, everyone goes like, "This is these two guys. This is their big. They wrote this thing together, and they're starring in it. Him and Matt Damon. They were like, oh, it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Basically, I took it as they've never <laughs> been on camera before, and now not only did they write this thing, but they're really good actors. And I go. Okay, um, I'm so sorry. It looks like Ben Affleck 
was acting when he was fucking like eight years old. Like he's been doing this for a while. Maybe we don't need to give him so much credit for Goodwill. How do you like them yeah. apples? I just, sorry, I just wanted to say that. That's exactly the right thing to say it, I think. Voyage of the Mimi, it's like heard of Voyage of the Mimi. I fault the media for not saying back in 1984, Ben Affleck was already, you know. In social studies classrooms worldwide. It was produced in 1984, excuse me, but it was on in 1988. Either way, I think it's bullshit that people give them so much credit for Goodwill Hunting. Well, I don't think, was it a claim of Goodwill Hunting these people have never been on camera before? Yes! Okay. It was basically like these two unknowns wrote this movie. Yeah. Like, can you even believe it? They're from Boston and they kept their accents and get ready. Right. You know, right. and I did. And I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. I thought it was a really good movie. But now I oh, feel it was cheated. Really like they're not even Hollywood guys. They're just two right, right, guys of the right. dream. These guys have never seen a speck of Hollywood before. They just arrived. Meanwhile, I doubt Voyage of the Mimi was shooting in Ohio. (laughs) Guess where I think it was filming? L.A., California, otherwise known as Hollywood. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe Canada. It looks like it could be. Probably actually Canada. (laughs) Probably Canada. Yeah. Let's see. It was created by the Bank Street College of Education, which is a private graduate school in New York City. Okay, whatever. Yeah. That's not helpful. (laughs) But that was another big one. I feel like... uh... Another big one that I'm sure you were into, Adam, was, of course, Reading Rainbow. Of course, Reading Rainbow. Oh, absolutely, Reading Rainbow. As a performer yourself, did you also always, when you'd see those kids introduce the books, be like, how do I get to do that? I actually never don't think, I don't think I ever had that thought. I I genuinely don't. That's kind of funny. I I wonder why I didn't, because I I did love to perform and to talk and stuff like that, but I never specifically wanted to, to be the kid who reviewed the book. That's the main thing they did, was they reviewed the book. Yeah. I think they reviewed it. They kind of introduced it. And then they were like, you'll have to read the book to find out the rest. Yeah. You know, like they'd be like, Sister Squirrel. In this book, a squirrel, fi- like, a, did they give their own personal reviews or were they just kind of explaining yeah, it? Yeah, this was this was a very early version of Goodreads. They were like, uh, three stars. It was, <laughs> the ending was just, no, it was pretty close to a review. I thought the illustrations were great. It was like that kind oh, of Oh, yeah, you're yeah, right. You're yeah. right. You're right. It was like, and Sister Squirrel, this is a book I made up, by the way, but it sounds like a pretty good premise, honestly. I should write it. But yeah. in Sister Squirrel, a squirrel who's a sister finds that her f- other friends are like sisters, too. I like the illustrations and I like the way that the author gave this a story. You will probably like it, too, but you'll have to read it to find out. Now, I wanted to be one of those kids so badly because I was like, I give book reports all the time, you know, as mandated per my classes in school. And I'm really good at it. And like, I was like, this is basically a book report, but on TV. And I was like that and the forever your girl music video are the two things that I was like, how do I get slash how could I have gotten an audition? Do you remember the forever your girl music video? And there were like a lot of kids in it. No. Is that Paula Abdul? Yeah. Okay. Well, because, you know, (laughs) I used to rent this sort of biographical VHS tape about Paula Abdul from the library all the time. And in it, they showed, well, they showed two things that really, that I still remember. One was her doing a dance rehearsal and everybody picked her up and she's like flat and everyone's lifting her and they show an aerial view 
And I remember being like, okay, this is the coolest thing in the world. And the other thing is they showed these kids like auditioning for the Forever Your Girl video. And like, it's like, because there's just like a lot of little kids like dancing and stuff in the music video. It's like a very cute video. And I remember being like, it sucks that I'm in Ohio and I didn't hear about these auditions. <laughs> and just to bring it back to... And I don't know how to dance. Um, Jonah, I think I was taking jazz tap and acro at the oh, time. Excuse me. So, uh, wow. yeah, I knew how to dance. Wow. <laughs> and then I had the same feeling, I think, when I would watch Reading Rainbow, where I would just be like... I think the point of it, obviously, wasn't to be like, <laughs> where do I audition? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if a lot of actors are getting their big break on Reading Rainbow <laughs> reading like a 10-second book review. Oh, you know there were some stage moms back there going like, this is going to be it. Yeah. And say hi to LeVar. And make sure you say hi to LeVar. Yeah. Say, go up to Le- you have to go up to LeVar and say, thank you, Mr. Burton. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Burton. He's a good contact for you. <laughs> it's important to make contacts, honey. I don't know if you guys have ever worked with kids on set. I have. There's nothing I hate more than the clearly coached child coming up to obsequiously <laughs> read a little speech that their mom gave them to say to, you know, number one on the call sheet as part of their, like, showbiz hustle. Like, it's uh, revolting, <laughs> unfortunately. I feel like... Do you remember any of the speeches? Oh, I'm being too mean. They're just like, they're just like, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to work with you. It's just like that kind of thing, you know? Right. Totally. What is revolting is sometimes the moms will start an Instagram account where <sighs> they will do it in the voice of the child. And that is, that is what right. creeps me That's up. a tough, it's tough when people do that with babies too. And they're like, I'm a little baby and I'm so excited <laughs> to be in the world. And you're like, yes. Yes. Take a break. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was going to say when I was on SNL, we would always have these very cute kids who would be like in sketches or like pre-taped stuff. And they were so well behaved, I think, because like the live TV element of it was like such a thing. And I just remember all these little girls and you'd be like, you're doing such a good job. And they'd be like. Thank you. Like they just that's all they would do. Like they didn't really want to talk to us that much because they were kind of like with their moms and they were kind of like maybe a little freaked out, but you'd just be like, You're doing amazing. And they'd be like, Thank you. (laughs) Just everything. Thanks. Do you want to hear my worst working with a child actor story? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I was working with this kid on Adam Ruins Everything the first season, and he was a very mature-seeming kid. I don't know if you ever worked with a child actor where it feels like you're working with an adult. Like, they're just very pro about it, you know? And so we were just chatting, (laughs) and he was like, uh, like, I'd be like, hey, man, don't, you know, don't worry if things are stressful on set. Like, we're doing okay. And he was like, no, it's all right. I just put it out of my mind. I'm doing okay. Like, he was just, like, very professional. (laughs) And so at one point, he goes, um, he goes, hey, so what's, what's your next episode about? And I was like, oh, well, the next episode we're doing is about death, which was true because it was like that was the next that was the season finale. And he was like, oh, what's the episode about? I was like, oh, it's about how um, like we're all going to die one day. Like I'm going to die and you're going to die and we should accept that. And it's better for us if we do, which is the actual thesis of the episode. And he starts going, I'm going to die. I am not going to die. No, I'm not going to die. How, how could you say that to a kid? I'm not going to die. And he starts like oh screaming and yelling. God. And the teacher, you know, because the, there's like a teacher monitor. She had to come over and be like, Joshua, just stop that. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, my God. I like caused an oh existential freak out. I'm like, oh, he's eight. I forgot. <laughs> a conversation his parents haven't had a chance to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah, it's a special kind of kid to be able to do that, and a, and a special kind of parent, and usually a nightmare parent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> we'll be back in a little for a lot more fun. 
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. And we're back. Okay, so Adam, now we're going to play one of our all-time favorite games with you, okay? Oh, I'd love to play it. Okay, so this game is called Yes-Stalgia or Nostalgia. And the way this game works is we're going to bring up something from our past that's making a comeback. If you think it's a good idea, you'll give it a yes-stalgia. Yes-stalgia! And if you're not into it, you'll give it a nostalgia. Nostalgia! It's a classic take on a word pun. The Word is nostalgia. <laughs> and the other word is no. Yes. Yeah. Or yes. Exactly. Great. So yes, exactly. nostalgia is like, it's kind of a fun <laughs> twist. Anyway, so we're going to read you something that's coming back and then we're each going to give it either a yes, nostalgia or nostalgia. Jonah, do you want to take the first one? Sure. So the first one is, this one's a little more recent, but Kellogg's Cinnabon inspired cereal is back after a four year absence. And so I guess Cinnabon and Kellogg's made the cereal for I think it's Cinnabon, Jonah. Cinnabon, sorry. They made this cereal in 2018. It went on hiatus. 
people were petitioning them online. You know, this is what we had a, a guest on here, our friend Joe Troman. He told us about this term fan service, which I think is like when people petition these companies about movies or products and they end up doing it. And so I think this is considered maybe fan service. Okay. It's rolling out. The Cinnabon Bakery inspired cereal is going to begin its rollout at Sam's Club this month. Okay, wow. And it consists of mini crispy cinnamon swirl shaped pieces topped with cinnamon sugar and finished with a sweet frosting flavor and probably has like 9 million grams of sugar. <laughs> yeah, you just listed three ways of saying sugar. <laughs> yeah. Adam, what are your thoughts? I'll say yes, nostalgia in that this actually makes me feel nostalgic because I remember lots of cinnamon sugar flavored cereals. Yeah. Including one that I think was sort of cinnamon bun shaped and I don't remember uh, what it was, but uh, like what the name was. Oh, yeah. But I do have a memory of a cinnamon bun sort of shaped cereal. I would never eat this in a million years. Yeah. But it, it reminds me of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. Now... I would say, first of all, this article links to change.org, which this is like, it's a couple of worlds colliding for us because we have another game we like to play called change.dork, where we go onto change.org and we find petitions that are like, not really the way that change.org was designed. <laughs> we figured they're designed more for social justice, but a lot of people petition to bring back things like snacks on there. I would say- and sometimes it works. And sometimes it works. And it looks like in this case, it did work. Now, the petition that this article links to only has- 26 people who signed, but I'm sure there were multiple petitions. I'm probably not looking at the biggest one. I'm all for this. I mean, Jonah, I'm really curious where you land on this because as someone who who really doesn't like corporations or big, you know, big corporations or CEOs, this is, uh, you know, this is Kellogg's and this is, you know, yeah. the, the, the Cinnabon people coming together. These are some pretty big companies. But I say, why not? I love a cinnamon cereal and I think it's a nostalgia for me. Jonah, what about you? Yeah, I'm not into this. I think, I mean, the box says it's good source of vitamin D in like huge letters. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like they're really pressing the vitamin D and not the, the sugar. I mean, to me, it's just, it's probably like kind of like what Adam said. I think it's probably so sweet. It probably is like difficult to eat. I don't ever eat, I don't, I don't know, Cinnabon. I guess, how do you pronounce it? Cinnabon? Cin I think it's Cinnabon. This is a place that's always like at, at like the airport. Yeah, Cinnabon. Actually, speaking of puns, <laughs> I think it's, I'm realizing, is it a take on Cinnamon? I'm realizing this. Yes, yeah, Cinnabon, Cinnamon. Between MathNet being a take on Dragnet, yes. Nines being able to be multiplied by any number and the two numbers add up to nine and Cinnabon being a take on Cinnamon. Cinnamon and Cinnabon. I'm going, uh, this is one of the most educational podcasts we've done yet. I truly, all three of these things have blown my mind. I want to be serious, especially the nines thing. So I'm going to say no. I, it, it sounds gross. I'm not into it. You're not yeah, into yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. it. I don't have a lot to say. About okay. This. Okay. Uh, Vanessa, do you want to read the next one? The next one is they're bringing back, there's going to be a Teletubbies reboot. The trailer was just released by Netflix. And I'm going to give you the official synopsis, which is join colorful friends Tinky, Winky, Dipsy, Lala, and Poe on wonder-filled adventures as they learn and grow in this 21st century refresh of the beloved preschool series. Now narrated by Emmy nominee Titus Burgess of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, each episode includes new original tummy tales songs that will have the entire family dancing along <sighs> i say yes nostalgia okay we can have more uh tinky winky la la dipsy and poe yeah. i recently i know their names because i recently was watching teletubbies on youtube and i don't remember why but i was doing it and <laughs> yeah 
Teletubbies, great, it's fine. People were driven insane by the Teletubbies when that show first came out. Yes. Do you remember that Americans were furious about Teletubbies? People were like, oh, these Teletubbies. Ah!" People were mad for some reason. Yes. I think it's because I might be misremembering this, but I think it's because the show was really designed for like babies and toddlers. Like it really made no sense to, whereas like a lot of children's TV is like adults can watch it and at least make some sense of it. I feel like Teletubbies was them kind of jumping around and there was like a really bright sun with like a smiley face on it and stuff, right? I mean, yeah, it was incoherent by the standards of most entertainment. Yes. Yeah. But I would say I would give this a yes, Dalja, too. I, I feel like, yeah, they say it's for preschoolers. I, I think like, why not? It's fun. Kids love it. And Titus Burgess will be a great narrator for it. I don't remember there being a narrator, but to be fair, I didn't watch a ton of Teletubbies because I think I was a little too old for it. I think it came out when I was in high school. So <laughs> I give it a yes, Dalja. What about you, Jonah? Yeah, yes, Dalja. I mean, you know, kids like this. If it's entertaining to little kids, it's, you know, sure. Why not? I have no problems with this. I think it's it's not for me, but who am I to say? Yeah, right. It would be so weird if you were like so excited for it to come back. (laughs) (laughs) Jonah, do you want to read our last? Yes. Yes. So our last one is Taco Bell brings back the Enchirito. I guess Taco Bell did a some kind of promotion where they asked what former menu item they'd like to see return. And it was Enchirito versus the Double Decker Taco. And 62% of the votes went to this Enchirito. 760,000 people voted. It's coming out soon. It's a flour tortilla with beef, beans, and diced onions. Then blah, blah, blah. Yeah, people really like this. Then it's smothered in red sauce and shredded cheese. This was discontinued in 2013. Adam, are you familiar at all with the Taco Bell Enchirito? I've never heard of this. This is a nostalgia for me. And um, Taco Bell is straight up bad. Okay. It's bad food. So uh, I don't know why anybody would be nostalgic for it. To be fair, this item came out in 1970. Oh, oh right. So this is like a real throwback item. Okay. Okay. So other people might, it might be a nostalgia. Right. But it, it sounds like it isn't for you. And that is why we play the game, quote unquote, is because everyone's allowed to have their own preferences. I'm looking up on Wikipedia. They call it. An enchirito because it's a com- it's like a combo of a burrito and an enchilada, but like it looks like it's just a wet burrito, right? Like it's a burrito with red sauce on it. That's a that's a wet burrito. Well, I mean, if I feel like that's where the, you got to get that marketing department in there, <laughs> and they said, don't call it a wet burrito, call it an enchirito. You know? Yeah. To your point, it doesn't sound, you know, beef, beans, onions, red sauce cheddar it sounds like there's a lot of um kind of moist product in there (laughs) (laughs) look i mean i don't i don't get it with the especially why people would be all excited about a taco bell food i mean taco bell is like they take a tortilla and then they've just got a couple of different tubes of food that they like squirt on the on the tortilla and like who gives a shit what order they squirt the tubes in like it's yeah the lowest quality in fast food by a mile so I have no uh, no emotional association with it whatsoever. Wow. It sounds like we've hit a little, a little bit of a chord. We struck a little bit of a... A chord? Of a sensitive area for me? Yeah. Sounds like you're very anti-Taco Bell. It's, it's an absolutely not-stalgia. Whoa. Okay. This is even okay. a new 
category. <laughs> you hate it so much. Absolutely. Not only is it nostalgia, it's nostalgia. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to ask Taryn to record something for that. Now, Jonah, what about you? I'm putting you in a little bit of a weird position because after hearing Adam's take, it's if you're into it, it's going to be an uphill battle. <laughs> Listen, I think Adam makes a lot of valid points. I have never heard of this item either. I live in a rural area, not a lot of food options. There is a Taco Bell by us, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try it. I was disappointed. I was kind of get excited. I think this is going to be good. We don't. I don't have. A, and it's it's not good. I agree with Adam. Uh, yeah, I'm not nostalgic for this product at all because I've never heard of it. Um, Taco Bell also... You weren't even born when it came out, Jonah. I wasn't born when it came out. The only Taco Bell that's really close to me is is a combo with KFC, which it's like, I can't do it. So yeah, I'm going to say nostalgia on this one. I don't have any relation to this. And it is. It is. They just kind of change the order of the ingredients. It, and even the photos of this do not look very appetizing to me. Right, um, right, Even right, for right. Taco Bell. Yeah, I'm going to give this an, a nostalgia... Vanessa, what about you? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I just want to say, I just realized, you know, by the time we do our next podcast, we'll probably have heard from our dad who probably has some kind of a take on the Enchirito because he often, um, he's kind of more up on fast food. Our dad knows more about current, about fast food trends and, and then we I think he, he, yeah, he's, he's a little more in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning he eats more fast food than we do. You know, it would be a yesalgia for me in fast food. Can I say What's that? if they brought back the arch deluxe, do you remember the arch deluxe from McDonald's? No. no. What was that? Oh my God. So this was in the nineties. This was when I was in high school, I believe. Maybe middle school. Actually, I'm going to look it up so I don't get the year wrong because I know your your listeners are sticklers. They really are. Um, 1996. So I was in uh, high school at the time. And this was a sandwich that they introduced. And the marketing was the sandwich, the burger is only for adults. Whoa. That was what they said. And people were like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what are they talking about? In what way? Would this be only for adults? And people ate it for that reason alone. And I'm looking it up on Wikipedia, and it is. It says it is now considered one of the most expensive flops of all time. Wow! wow. But you were but it into it. Had a massive it. marketing campaign. No, I didn't. I never ate it because it was for adults. You just remember it. I I do. I remember my friends trying it and being like, I don't know why they say it's just for adults or whatever. But they marketed it like crazy. It was like. This is during a period where, like, a new hamburger would become, like, some of the biggest news in America. Right, right. <laughs> it was yeah. huge. A simpler time. Vanessa and I have talked a lot on this podcast about Boku, which was, like, like a juice box marketed towards adults that I think also mm. didn't do so well. I Rich wanted Boku. With Richard Lewis, whole campaign, yeah. Boku. Oh, wow. When you said Richard Lewis, I could picture him saying Boku, Buko. Boku. Yeah, Boku. yeah. And he did, his commercials were like stand-up where he'd go, I go to the supermarket and I said, I want a Boku. You know, like that. He's like, this girl dumped me. She, I heard she's dating a f fruit juice counselor now. You know, I sound exactly like him. But the point is, yeah, he did a lot of Boku commercials. Incredible guy. People don't talk about Richard Lewis enough. Do you know he, he claims to have invented the phrase from hell? Like, when you said like, I had the waitress from hell. He says he invented that. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Well, also, wasn't there, there was a nickname for him that had to do with that. Remember, Jonah and I have done quite a bit of research on specifically the Boku commercials, but Richard Lewis by way of Boku. And he had like a nickname that had to do with hell or something. Right, Jonah? Yeah, you're right. I can't remember it, but you're right. 
The Prince of Pain. The Prince of Pain, yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird because like when we heard that, we were like, oh, maybe because we weren't adults when he was like in his prime, like we didn't know that people referred to him as the Prince of Pain. I think we would have heard it once or twice. The Prince of Pain. Maybe among comedy circles, it's like, you know, he's at Gotham and they're like, give it up for the Prince of Pain. Richard Lewis. <laughs> That's a horrible. He sounds like he's going to come out covered in whips and spikes. Oh my God. I wonder if he did stand up about his Boku commercials. If he was like, have you guys seen me in these commercials? Like he probably couldn't for a minute because they he, like he had to make the money and all that stuff. But then once that had expired, I bet he was like, this is what I think a stand up was probably like. It's probably like this. Okay. You know, uh, thanks so much, Jeannie. Okay. So everybody's been telling me. That they know me as the Boku guy now. I take one commercial campaign and I'm the Boku guy. And it goes from there. I won't do his whole set, but that's This was I the think. commercial from hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what you would say. Exactly. This is making me want to go watch some Richard Lewis. Well, before you do, I'm going to give you guys my take on that. And Chirito <laughs> coming back. And yes, I don't know that it's like that well-known of a product. I don't mean to say that I'm an expert on Taco Bell and, you know, it's history or anything, but... It doesn't sound like that innovative or exciting to me. Even in the 70s, I'm like, were people that excited about this? Just today, given what we have now, I guess I'll say, I don't feel that excited. The thing that really made me not into it is it says it's smothered with a red sauce. And I'm not into spicy sauces. I'm also not into tomato sauce. As I've said many times on this podcast and in and outside of this podcast, I have pretty bad acid reflux and it is not helped by tomato sauces, okay, or spicy sauces. So the red sauce alone element, I'm like, these are the key ingredients you're calling out. And if one of them is red sauce, quote unquote, no description of what's in there, I'm giving it a pass. I'm giving it a nostalgia. I'm turning the other way, Okay. Or else it's Gerd City, USA for me. I don't know why. I just I think I said me just now, like Richard Lewis for me. <laughs> this is him again. One more time. I'm the Boku guy now. <laughs> I want to look it up, but I don't know how to spell Boku. B-O-K-U. What? Yep. I thought it was like the French word. No, no, oh, no. Oh, I found no. it. Boku. Boku. Ah, I'm, I'm drinking Boku. What is, what is this? Wow, I'm drinking Boku now? Yeah. Vanessa and I worked on a project where we did so much research on Boku and watched every commercial wow. on YouTube. Every They have them all. It's it's worth doing a deep dive into Boku. By the way, the other reason that he probably got very, at that time, was very associated with Boku is because we found out he did a bunch of commercials one year, like in the early 90s, and then he did more commercials two years later when they switched them from being, they were in a box. They were juice boxes. That's like what was like their initial draw was like their juice boxes, but for adults. Then like two years later, he did commercials again when they started coming in like glass bottles. And guess what? They started coming in glass bottles, then they were gone. And you go, if it's not Baroque... As, as um, you know, that joke from Beauty and the Beast. No, is that a joke from Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> Guys, I really think I need to go take a nap. <laughs> you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But but they say it's not Baroque. Cogsworth goes, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. Oh, okay. oh my God, Adam, we had so much fun with you today. All right, Adam. Well, <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for being... Adam, where... <laughs> 
let's let's go take a nap together. Honestly, I'm a little baroque, but honestly, Adam, where can people find you? Uh, well, I got a podcast called Factually, where I interview incredible experts from around the world of human knowledge. Please come uh, check that out. Would you say it's pretty similar to this podcast in terms of <laughs> subject matter? <laughs> in terms of research, subject matter. Intellectual level. Yeah. You know, one day I hope I hope that we can even begin to touch on in my podcast the work that we've done here today. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my that would be my greatest aspiration. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, you could check out my uh, shows on Netflix and uh, HBO Max. Incredible. Well, thank you so much. That was so much fun. Thanks so much to Adam for joining us and to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird, where we would discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural touchstones like educational media. BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.